the Shanghai Jia, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing, and we'll be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitwam, and I'm Ali Kaspi. In today's episode, we have Gordon Dormlesia. He is the APAC CEO of globally award-winning media agency WaveMaker. He is prized both because of his humility and leadership skills. Gordon has trailblazed through the ranks as CEO WaveMaker, first as CEO of China, North Asia, and today the entire Asia Pacific. He has worked on some amazing blue chip brands like Unilever, Nike. Land Rover and L'Oreal. If anyone is going to make CEO, seems like spending some time on those brands is foundational, right, Ali? Sounds like it is. Bryce, do you have any of those under your belt? Yes, Gordon and I worked on Land Rover for、uh, for a few years, many years actually, during the during the glory times when we saw the brand dramatically grow. Of course, all to do with WPP. Bryce, I would actually say that、uh, it wouldn't be going too far saying we saved that company. I think you're. I think it's an accurate statement. But before we start, Happy New Year to everyone. This is going to be our first podcast of the year. And before we introduce Gordon Ali, I want to also say that's not on the list. Is Gordon was recently awarded Asia Pacific. Head of the Year Agency Head of the Year for Campaign Asia, and、wow. this episode is co-sponsored by our friends at Campaign Asia. Wow, that's amazing! Congratulations! Thank you very much. I owe it all to my people. So, Gordon, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into advertising, the media business, and and what brings you to China? Okay, so th- this story starts in a nightclub, as, as many stories do. <laughs> After finishing my economics and politics degree, I, I started working in a nightclub because that's a very natural progression, and probably the only vocational use of, of the degree that I did.、Um, so it, it was working out okay,、um, but I, I sort of felt I was hankering for something else. So at that time, there were these things called newspapers, and、uh, so I. Yeah. Newspaper. Newspaper. Yeah. So it's literally news printed on paper. I mean, it's quite a literal thing. So this newspaper, there was a, a novel idea. <laughs> no, I know. Someone should do that now, right? So,、um, so this newspaper in particular called Guardian on the Mondays they had something called the Media Guardian, where、um, the final、um, sort of like twenty pages were basically classified ads for、uh, for companies working like working in the、that. media space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So、um, I, I happened, like you know, through the many applications、uh, that I sent out,、uh, I happened to send one to a company called Zenith Media.、Uh, small, like you know, two by three advert. They didn't spend a lot of money on it, to be honest. But、um, I got an interview、um, because、um, one of my referees was the was the owner of the nightclub that I was working at, and this nightclub had quite a reputation in London. It's called Stringfellows, so、um, it's yeah, quite quite famous. Is it still famous? Um, now it, it's it's、uh, it's more of a gentleman's club now. I'd say、okay. so it's famous for a different reason,、um, but、um, yeah. So it was very famous at the time, and and that's what got me in the door. And then, you know, my my charm,、uh, witness, humour, like you know, and and modesty, obviously,、um, got got me through the interview.、Excellent. And、uh, I was given the job. I was told by the the CEO of the company at the time that I was a rough diamond. 
you know, and I had potential. And um, that, that's what led me into, into the industry. So uh, it, it, yeah, pure, pure luck, really. I had no idea what media was yeah. at that stage. And how long, how long have you been in China? In China? Uh, where are we now? 13 years? 14 wow. years? Yeah, this is pretty good. I remember those days when, when we first met Bryce. It was, it was quite early on, wasn't it? Yeah, no, 2008 definitely. or so, yeah. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was exciting. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's been different. I think certainly different to like, I mean, when I, when I started, so I, I started in a TV buying department, right? You know, and like, I don't know if anyone knows what that is anymore. But anyway, there was the thing called TV and, and people bought airspace on those. And uh, I was, uh, you know, at, at that time, there were two commercial TV stations in the UK. So you can imagine, like, you know, in fact, every night there were more media parties than there were TV stations to book. So it was, um, it was quite a, yeah, quite a fun time and yeah. quite straightforward, actually. Two commercial stations, jobs pretty much done by midday every day. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and then you enjoy yourself. It was, it was a great yeah. social experience. Sounds, sounds awesome. So, uh, <laughs> but you left all that, yeah. this awesome job, being in the TV media buying department. <laughs> <laughs> to come here. I mean, there were a few steps in between that. I wasn't just like, you know, drinking heavily in the TV media department. There were, there were more steps to get into here. Um, so yeah, this, this was one of those where um, uh, I was working for an independent like, comms agency in, in, in London, like working on challenger brands, working on content, working on um, you know, just, just sort of like quite interesting stuff, non, non-linear media. And at that time, China was going through a, a stage of like really developing IP. So yeah. uh, at that stage, Unilever bought the IP to a thing called Ugly Betty. Yep, I remember Betty. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that was such a huge deal. Like you know, so uh, you know, so they were bringing that to China, and this was the start of a real influx of, like, yeah. of IPs, which were then developed in, in China with like full backing by by, by uh, investors almost. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And and so um, and so because I had experience about how you do this sort of thing, I was like yeah. sort of headhunted into this into this world, and um, you know, the reason why. You know, it, it sort of stuck. I mean, you can imagine, like, you know, when, when I came for the look-see, you come over first class and, like, you know, you're there. And, like, Why not? You yeah. land, Ritz Carlton, and it's like, oh, this is amazing. It's the future. This is just so awesome. And then as soon as I signed a contract, it was like, right, here you go. We're going to put you up for a week in the Howard Johnson, <laughs> and, like, and you can fly over cattle. I was like, all right. So a bit of a reality check, but, uh, but also, yeah. like, it kept me grounded. That's important. You know, but that, that's why I came. It, it, it was very much like a... a not just that it was on the cusp of, of really like turning around in terms of what a media advertising communications um, sort of landscape was, was going to be. And it was very much of that sort of like um, early stages of, of, of like, you know, I mean, there was very little digital here even. It was still like TV based. It was still like, but content was really driving everything. And I think I you remember still uni, see that now. Unilever back then in 2008 wasn't really spending on search, but I remember in 2010, their search search spend was something around and for that time it was a lot of money it was 10 million rmb mm. digital was around 100 million and the rest of it was all uh television yeah that was about a billion what they spent at least 10 years ago it's uh, no but proportionally yeah that that's that is Sounds about sort right. of how it, how it was i mean I, I remember those early days we were we were still trying to convince people that digital was a viable platform for communications yeah, yeah. It, I was, remember that. it was amazing like you know if you look at where we are now you know, and that wasn't that long ago. You think that's like, you know, it's still- No, it was the, that was the days when the digital team at the creative agency was usually the last to present after <laughs> and then came on media. 
now, now, now you're up front, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is quite important now. What's it like being a CEO of one of the biggest media agencies in the largest markets? Uh, what's a day in life like yours, Gordon? What does it look like? Even, even when I got the, uh, the, the regional job, like probably, what's that, three years ago, I, I still consciously wanted to stay in China. And, and, and I think, you know, for me, the excitement of China and the energy that we see here, and I think that's something that probably keeps a lot of us here, Correct. The, the, the innovation that we see is unlike anywhere else in the world. I always say to our global teams and everyone else outside, you know, there's so much still to learn. And if you look at now, like, you know, how we're developing our, our businesses in, in Southeast Asia, particularly, and like, you know, further afield into India, I see the similarities from what we did, like, you know, five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Like, we're going through that stage in so many other markets. And for me, like, you know, having, you know, one foot in that camp of, you know, the future, genuinely the future, and like seeing how we can actually bring that to life in other markets and like I, and actually steer the direction of, of growth good. and the direction of like what digital transformation looks like. Yeah. It's just utterly amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's really, really exciting to me. What markets and what nuances are you seeing in other markets that you're helping guide? So some of them are as simple as this is our sort of what probably about third digital transformation that we're going through now in China. So you've got other markets which are very much still at, at the at that first digital transformation stage, right? So what what role does digital play in communications? Right, right. You know, it's as straightforward as that. You know, it's like you know now. You know, I remember even when I took the first um, CEO job, we had like ninety percent of our business was digital. We were a digital agency. Yeah. Know, by default, I mean, maybe that's because we didn't have any clients spending on TV because they weren't yeah. big enough, but it was like, it, we were a digital agency. Correct. And like, you know, so we actually understood this is the role that digital plays in communications. And now I, I think for, for us, going to those markets, and there's still plenty of markets in Southeast right. Asia particularly, where actually TV makes up 60, 70, 80% of, of, of total, of, of total Spend. spending. Mm. Right? And I see now the same sort of desire to to leap forward and sort of actually leapfrog sort of certain developmental stages i mean you know like how we we never had dial up here right it was just like you know that was just Models. a complete stage yeah. that like that we, we we just like missed that out yeah. I'm gonna go straight to broadband and that's, that's what, yeah right yeah, yeah. Yeah. and that that was it and like if you remember what it was like in in the uk us whatever wherever you grew up it was like there was a really slow evolution right of like yeah. step by step never happened here you jump Right? And, and I sort of feel that's what's happening in a lot of markets. We've got to go from here to here. Yeah. And it's like, right, we spend 80% of, you know, I speak to many markets in like, you know, Southeast Asia, where it's like, we spend this amount of money on, on TV, but actually our, our, our goal is to deliver 30% of our sales through like, through e-commerce now, yeah. you know, which has obviously been accelerated with what's happened with COVID. We need to digitize everything. We need to be available on, on, on commerce and like on these platforms. Right, so it's got to be 30%. And you say, well, how much do you sell through e-commerce now? 4%. Mm. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, that, that is some growth you're expecting in a very short space of time. So how can we help you do that? Build those, like, build those steps where you don't have to probably make all the mistakes we did as we, as we went through it. Say, look, this is what's likely to happen. This is what the consumer reaction is here. This is the role that this kind of, of, of digital advertising plays. Because everyone, you know, fundamentals are still sort of the same like, in what Absolutely. we're trying to get people to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Platforms are changing, you know, probably the ways of communicating are changing, like, you know, the breadth and scope and the personalization of what you have to do has changed massively. But essentially, you're still trying to do the, the sort of same thing, right? I always think that China's advantage is the platforms have, are kind of leading the technology, the digital transformation change. How, diff, how more challenging will digital transformation be in these markets relative, relative to what you're seeing in China? Is it still... Is there's always going to be a gap or is the rest of the world catching up? 
I, I believe there's still a gap, and I think you know that that goes back to like what I'm saying about why I why I'm here because I sort of feel like we are see, we are at the forefront of what change and transformation mm. looks like. Now, I, I think more of our our role with with other uh, markets, you know, they'll always compare themselves to like what's happening in you know in China. So I can talk to a CEO in in, in Malaysia and go like, you know, I'm embarrassed to go to meetings. The China CEO shows me all this stuff they're doing, and like you know we're not doing that. I'm going, but your context is completely different, hmm. not just of your business, but also of your consumer and what yeah. they're doing. There is a reason why they are able to do this and we are able to do this in China. And that's because you know, we're not setting the trend. This is happening because this is how people have embraced communication. It's how people have embraced technology. It's how people expect to be communicated to. And, and they're driving a lot of that. And we are responding in, in many ways, right? So, you know, there's no way we can keep ahead of like, of people, right, in terms of, and, and keep ahead of all technology, impossible. But you have to understand it. You have to see trends forming in how things are happening, and therefore you make bets about how you do this, how you do this, how you can do this better. Now, yeah. in other markets, your challenge is probably like tempering some of the excitedness that they have. We want to be doing this as well, because the problem with openness of communication and information is everyone can see everything that's happening. Now, your infrastructure isn't always there to be able to deliver it, exactly as you say. Like, you know, when's the last time you used money in China? I mean, like, I, I mean actual money. It's like, I literally don't have a clue. It was that moment when I realized that I was out of batteries in my phone, and then I suddenly was like, it had no charger, and I was literally in no man's land, where I had no way to buy anything or communicate. I was totally screwed. Yeah. Yeah, and I just raced to one of those charging stations because that was like life or death. It was almost yeah. like... See, that is a good question. When was the last time you used cash? Is this is this the example? Actually, we keep some cash. I keep some cash around for any any uh, any street people that I see. So okay. I just keep a few coins around. So so yeah, I saw I saw an elderly man and I gave him some money. So that was the last time I used cash. Gordon? I mean, nothing so worthy, but... I mean, <laughs> 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 When was the last time you used cash? Oh, I know, I know. Yeah, it was it was my worst Christmas present. Yeah. Okay. So you. Oh. oh. <laughs> Traceability. Oh, okay. Traceability. Ooh. Cash is king. Good one. I remember Tom Doctoroff, who was the ex uh, regional head of uh, JWT. He told me that regional guys usually travel seventy five percent of the time in the region. Hmm. Now. Now, obviously, that was a pre-COVID statistic. What now? How, how are you able to do your job sitting in Shanghai? I, I mean, you know, it, it, it does come down to like, individual preference as well. I mean, I, you know, my first year I, I spent, I did probably do like 75% of my time on the road, you know, going into markets, going to see clients. Th to be honest, I, you know, look, looking back on it, I, I see that I delivered probably, uh, other than the soft elements of like you know of, of human contact which I, I i totally buy the, the actual value add because like it, it just ends up people presenting you stuff you go you'd like visit you'd like you know da, 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 here's this meeting here's this meeting and then you go again and like going oh he'll be back in like you know two years or something you know and and to me i'm, I'm not sure what what sort of value that that really adds i mean mm -hmm. i would say i speak much more frequently to key people in my team now than than i ever have before I would say, you know, you, you develop a way. And, and look, I mean, it, it's not like I'm the only person who has to do this. This is like now, now a norm, right? So it's like, how comfortable are you doing this? And what value can you add to that? Because I, I, I sort of feel we, we never really 
achieved much by flying into markets, getting people to present to you. I mean, like we've all done that. You, the people come, they present to you, yeah. that, and then you leave, right? You know, that's right. Th- there is no lasting legacy. There is no lasting, like you know, th- there's no lasting feeling that this this has helped. And in actual fact, a lot of the clients like feel like, right, that I see that guy twice a year. What's what's the point of that? Like, you know, what what value does he add? You know, how right. much can he really understand about a business? And to me, I feel like I understand a lot more about the business by being able to have conversations with people. You know, regardless of like being in a room with them, I think that the key part that I that I miss because you know, I mean, you can see we're we're in my office now. I sit in the middle of things. I love sitting in the middle that. of. Yeah. I love sitting in the middle of office because there's so much you don't you don't get by just talking. You know, you get by seeing by observing how people interact with each other. Because to me, like the biggest part of of what I can do is provide a, a an environment to grow a fantastic culture. And, and to me, that is done by how people interact with other, each other, and it's done with like how, how that was. It's, it's not with, of course, I have a responsibility in how I behave, how I speak, how I, I set, like you know, our our just way of being and our approach to everything. But it has to land everywhere with everybody. And like, and, and to me, that observational piece is probably the biggest piece that's missing. The stuff with clients, I think everyone is totally comfortable like doing this now, like you know, virtually. You know, we do this all the time. Everyone is totally cool because you actually understand what value you add and like you know what it, what your role is in, in what you do. A lot of that digital transformation is also being led by platforms, and this is mm. to a point that Bryce made earlier. How do you how do you work with platforms in in facilitating some of that change within uh, some of your large advertisers in the region? My sort of approach to this has always been: as an agency, you you can't expect that you are going to do absolutely everything better than everybody else and that means in in terms of like what do platforms bring to like to the equation what do other agencies and specialist agencies bring to equation like you know how does this like you know how, how does it all piece together you know and what is my role in this as an agency and I think to me that given like the, the questions that are being raised by, by most of our clients now which are around this transformation piece you know, mm. I mean the, the definitions of transformation are varied i would say and quite broad in in some respects and you know and others are are quite traditional in terms of like we're looking for efficiency but we're going to dress it up as a as a you know as a transformation piece like but but for for us it's like what is our role in this what is the value that i can bring who are the best people that i can bring you know and and i think that's why working in in a group like wpp obviously helps because i think we we see that as well i think you know for for us it's like that the platforms play such a critical role in in how we interact with with customers, how we understand audiences, how we understand behaviours, how we drive insights. So to me, it, it's part and parcel of it. I think you know our, our structures have fundamentally changed over the last sort of few years. If I look at, and this isn't just a, a China thing, though I think China has spearheaded this. You know, I've got entire teams who all they do are work on like either Unidesk or work on like you know or work on a JD ecosystem or working like you know this is what they do or work in Tencent. Because yeah. you have to understand how that works in, in such a granularity of, of, of detail. Otherwise, you don't really have a role to play with clients. Otherwise, yeah. what is the value that you add? If you can say, right, I understand how this works. I understand how this fits into your holistic planning, how this fits into everything else you're doing. How do we actually piece together everything you're doing on all these platforms? What is the role of this platform relative to this platform? What are the communications within this? What insights can we bring from what we're doing? And, and to me, that, that is universal whether we're talking about like the Western markets, whether we're talking about, you know, some of the Asian markets or, yeah. or even in China. But I think, you know, it, you know the same thing we're doing here is, is what we're doing, whether it's with Lazada or with Shopee or with Amazon. 
You know, you have to have the people who understand that, who speak the same language, who can actually extract yeah. that and work with our teams here who are totally focused on brand and on client and, and, and safeguarding the, the overall sort of strategic framework of those clients. Hi, Ali and I hope you enjoy Shanghai Zhan, the only marketing podcast coming to you from China. Now you can help support Shanghai Zhan by becoming a patron and for just a few dollars a month, you can help support all the great marketing content that you hear on Shanghai John. Simply go to our website, johnstation.com. That's Z-H-A-N station.com and click on the patron link at the bottom of the site. You can also go directly to patron.com slash Shanghai John. That's P-A-T-R-O-E-N.com slash Shanghai Zhan. Thanks. We appreciate your support. In terms of your biggest clients, what do they want from agencies? What are they looking for? Uh, especially given our new year, what's the expectations do they have for 2022? I mean, it's quite interesting because I, I, I feel that transformation is, is less of an agenda here because it's sort of what we do. And, and I feel that people think that this is happening anyway. So I think it becomes very much more specific in, in China around what people believe their, their business problems to be, and therefore like, you know, what we need to, to do for them. Yeah. I think we're still like, China is still very heavily a, a, a conversion and, and performance driven market. So for us, and, and probably we are slightly skewed that way, we, ha we tend to have in China, a lot of tech brands, a lot of car yeah. brands, exactly. So be that Mercedes, be that Huawei, be that Honor, be that like, you know, yeah. uh, Tencent, be that, you know, these are, yeah, yeah. They, they work on acquisition, they work on like, you know, and they work on performance. And that's what they need from their agencies. Like, you know, and that's predominantly right. that's what they're looking for. The marriage of like content of commerce, of like, you know, of performance, trying to bring that all together. And I, and I think, you know, if you look at what we're trying to do, both as an agency in Wavemaker, but then also like in terms of Group M and WPP, it's very much around how, how do we add value in that space, knowing that this is where people's spends are. You know, yeah. you look at those big blue chip advertisers and you know, you, as, as you rightly said, Ali, like, you know, you go back 10 years, it was like 90% TV. That's right. You look at where the investment is now, 80% of that money is going into social, going into influencer, going into e-commerce. Right? Yeah. That is such a monumental shift, right? Yeah. And therefore, you have to go with, with the business. So I, I feel like you know, there, is, um, you know, there is some talk around brand, but I still feel we are so primarily driven by performance here. That, that, that is that's sort of like where we are. I think there's a greater balance elsewhere because I think actually clients are asking us a little bit more around, around the transformation piece about how you digitize the business. Not necessarily to get to where we are here in, in e-commerce, but just because they need to do it for a business. It's not, it's not a digital media transformation. It is all part of a business transformation, which is moving them into a, let's say, a modern mindset and a modern way of working. Do you think sometimes that China's too performance driven? It, I mean, it, it's, it's a great question and, and it's something that we wrestle with all the time because media is so important. And like, you know, and the, because the amount of investment, I mean, pretty much any, you know, any brand that we talk to, their number one cost center is, is how much they spend on media. But it's also what consumers see, right? Yeah. That's the first, that's yeah. the first experience that they have with the brand. I, I, exactly. Many. But you know, so their view on it is it, it's got a return. Like something's got a return. I'm spending yeah. this amount of money. What is the return that I'm getting? So like, I need you to, to measure that, quantify that, and make sure that I am delivering a, a return on investment. Now. 
the problem and, and like even agencies are like this even though we don't produce anything or sell anything other than ourselves we are still under pressure to say right yeah are you growing what does incremental growth mm. look like you know month by month quarter on quarter year on year at the same time you know if i look at our, our business i'm building a brand i have to build a brand but in any business you're in you can't build a brand at the expense of like your your incremental growth and often it is at the detriment of brand because you have to chase short term and I think with a lot of the clients we work with, unfortunately, they still have a mentality where they don't think they're going to be around in like three years time. Certainly not in that job. So you're telling me you're going to build something up and in three years time, I'm going to reap the benefit of that. I'm not. Why am I building this for someone else? Their measure of success is what they do and what they, and what they deliver. And fundamentally now, you know, you talk to marketing people, they're mm-hmm. responsible for sales. They're responsible for sales. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, it's this, this not like the olden days where like, you know, you talk to someone, what, what's, what's the KPI here? I want everyone to feel really good about this. No one says that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I want my brand score to go up 10% yeah. and it needs to be skewed towards how lively I am as a brand. No one Correct. says that. Yeah. Yes, yes. So basically what we did is we all sat down and thought about some marketing predictions for 2022. Mm-hmm. And the first prediction is about brands requesting agencies now to create and engage on private audience or or you call Mm. 1p is it working is it effective means of of connecting with consumers how does it work now i've had a number of conversations with uh, a number of agency partners and clients i think they've come to the realization really late that they don't have enough customer record and the reason for that obviously is because they've been so invested in the big platforms, mm. right? And that obviously has to do a lot with where their consumers are. So it didn't make sense 10 years ago or five years ago for that matter to invest in your own um, 2C assets. So a 2C asset in this case would be an application, it would be a mini program uh, on WeChat, or it would be an offline retail CRM program, for example. Because of all, a lot of that investment has gone into Ali's, JD's, uh, into search, into all these other areas where consumers uh, spend more time in, a lot of our advertisers are on the back foot. Um, so how's it shaping from an advertiser's perspective? Not very good. How's it shaping from a, from a publisher's perspective? Uh, we actually anticipate, or at least the, the hypothesis is, is that moving forward, um, I think it's going to be even more difficult to get any customer data out of platforms because it just doesn't make sense. It's bad business for advertisers to give clients greater data transparency. I think on the flip side, what we've also seen is that publishers are much more eager to get customers to use data products that sit natively on their platforms. Um, so that they can get the best mm. out of whatever that platform has to has to offer. But migrating data mm. out of that platform, I think, is going to be a bit more difficult. Pretty hard. It's yeah. Hard. What do you think, Gordon? As Ali said, they have outsourced understanding of their customers. They've outsourced their customers, basically. You know, and this is something that um, if you don't understand your customers, if you can't generate any insights from, and this is, I mean, it's primarily driven by like you know co- competitive need. Yeah? yeah, you know the rules of the game have changed fundamentally. Like you know, over the last few years, if you look at the big blue chips historically, there were barriers to entry to anybody coming into any sort of like any any category. You know, be that like a CPG category, be that automotive. You know, here's the barrier: you need to build like you know a, a whole like you know, production line. You need to own your factories. You need to own your sources of production. This is a supply chain. This is it. Like, look at the disruption over the last few years. 
And like, look at look at how it's happened. And like, you know, even for us, like going back like ten years, people would ask us, "Are you uh, going? How's this brand taking like five percent market share? Like, what what are they doing on media?" And going like, well, "They're not doing anything we can track on media." Yeah. And this is and you multiply KOL. this. Yeah, yeah. You multiply yeah. this now and like going like, "Well, how how are these brands like? You know, how can they just like come from nowhere and do this? Mm. You know, how do they source sort of?" Work? Going, because it's easy to. If you're Huawei, you can just say, I'm going to launch a car in January. Mm. And, like, you know, if you're BMW, you say, like, you've got no history of making cars. You've got no history and heritage of this. We've got 200 years. Like, you know, how can you compete with us? And they're going, yeah. we're not competing with you. We're like, we're not building cars because we don't need to build cars. We've built the technology. That's just a shell. Yeah. I mean, like, anyone can build a shell. I can, like, you know, you could go to any factory going, like, I'd like you to build, like, 10,000 shells for me. There you go. Yeah. It's job, job done on a production line. You don't need to own it. You know, you don't need any heritage. And, like, that sort of thing, like, you know, you take that, whether it's CPG, whether it's auto, whether it, mm. whatever it is, that's how it's working. And so these, these companies, which are completely disrupting what, what's happened in the, you know, in, in, the, in the traditional sense, and taking ownership of their audiences by actually driving deriving insights from people okay. by talking to people rather than basing their business on the heritage and infrastructure and traditions that they have of like you know of what they used to do yeah so few people care about that now i mean really like you know i mean bryson remember when we used to do land rover we'd be doing oh we're gonna dial up britishness and like you know the heritage of four by four and like oh world on the beach <laughs> yeah like churchill and like you know and you go like wow that's amazing so emotive and everyone's like crying and like this is great like i mean god can you imagine trying to sell anything like that now i mean to anybody in in china i mean it's just it's just not a thing right and and so i i think you know th that is driving it particularly with with traditional companies i think you you look at like Monica, they don't care because they understand their customers because they talk to them every day you know because they live on platforms yeah these brands all live on platforms they don't live in a traditional sense that like you know i built this they should come it's a great product here's like you know guy in a white coat telling me that this is like fantastic i should use it three times a day right no like you know so i, I think this is being driven by necessity because they don't know their customers they don't know the new generation of customers they don't know their potential customers and growth is about acquisition, right? You have to acquire new people. Where are those new people coming from? Like, how do you identify who they are if you're not actually talking to them directly? If the platforms are talking to them and they happen to go here, and you don't know why. You don't know why they're going and you don't know why they're not going. It's like, you know, so of course it's like, you know, I mean, it, it should be keeping everyone up at night. So it's not necessarily about building, let's say, sophisticated, CRM platforms where we're trying to resell to a bunch of loyal, perfect diary customers. You're talking more or less about, about building a stronger connection with the consumers to be able to better understand their needs and deliver products that they would actually buy in, in a more of an acquisition sense because you're using this information to increase acquisition, not necessarily build retention. Completely. I, I think that's where that's where the true value is. Like, you know, if you're a toothpaste brand, if you're like standard toothpaste, like, you know, which is your volume driver, is retailing at like 10 RMB. Okay, like in the traditional sense, you'd be going like, 
right, you really need a CRM there, don't you? Like, <laughs> like that's, that's desperate, you know? No, you'd be going, but now you look at it going, right, I actually control my customer. I understand my customer. I understand the products they're looking for. I understand the personalized products they're looking for. I understand why they might upgrade, why they might buy more than one, why they might introduce this to other members of the family. I understand like which associations they like, you know? And so suddenly your, your product portfolio changes massively because you understand your customers and you're talking to them directly. I think that's the value of it. It's not a push out. You're using them for like R&D essentially, right? Like how much data is shared with agencies today and perhaps with you, Gordon, in order for you to help sort of navigate that? It's a case-by-case basis. I mean, some with some of our clients, they'll, they'll share everything. You know, they will share, you know, that because they want us to do end-to-end. And if you need to do end-to-end, like, you know, understand every part of the process through creative, through to, like, you know, the media execution, through to the tracking, through to the insights that, that, that you drive from that, you need access to it. You know, and that, that includes all the sales data, includes access to, you know, the, um, you know, the stores. And, and, and that, to me, is, is one way to go about it. But as you separate, there are, there are some things that many clients don't want to, to give up and they want to in-house. Now, like, to be honest, this isn't a new thing. Like, you know, 15 years ago, P&G started taking back all their insights in, in-house. Was it going like, no, we don't, know, we don't understand our customers. That happened, like, that happened decades ago. They're going, we're outsourcing this to agencies. Brand managers are not, the, you know, brand managers should be the custodian of who your customer is. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah? And that was, and that happened a long time ago. That was like pre-digital, for God's sake. That to me is, is just, it's, it's a constant continuation about what should be done there and what yeah, should be done cyclic. by agents. If I were to summarize, it sounds like making sure that you have insights within your client organization has always been, you know, it's, it's always been yeah. something that had to be held within a PNG or within a Unilever. And then it's been the platforms that have changed. It's a way that consumers engage with media that's changed. And that kind of swung back into the agencies. Mm. And then and then advertisers kind of realized that agencies knew more about customers than they did. So then they in-house that again. So they, didn't, they haven't really in-house, I would imagine. I think they've just had to refocus or re kind of calibrate their internal working so that they're up to, up to speed. Yeah, because I mean, the, the advantage of agencies has always been that, you know, w- we work on multiple brands, like we learn very fast because we're executing thousands of campaigns across thousands of like different yeah. categories, products, we know what works, we know what doesn't work, we can benchmark effectively, you know, and if you're sitting in like, you know, whatever client office, you can't do that. Like, you know, you, you I mean, you might be very good at that right now. But I'll tell you what, in three months time, you're going to be your toast because things move on. So that, you know, that, that there will always be a case for that. But, you know, what agencies do is very, very important and very valuable to our clients. I mean, most clients I go to now, everywhere I go, someone used to work for me. Like, you know, it's like, you know, they're populated entirely. The digital offices are populated entirely by, you know, particularly people from Group M. I mean, like there are loads of them across China, everywhere I go going great like you know and I, I know my clubs are going oh this is brilliant you've got friends everywhere Gordon I'm going yeah I'd rather they're all working for me it was like you know on the one hand like my clients are going like what's happened why haven't you got enough talent on there because you've stolen all of them that's why like, right. no but I think this is you know genuinely it's it's clear that our knowledge base is exceptional and valuable yeah because we understand we see the trends and we work across multiple things and that is that is always going to be our advantage now should things some things be in, inside in, inside the client office of course they should should they in-house like particularly as you said insights yes ownership of your of who your customer is 
if you don't own your customer, what do you own, right? I mean, right. Like, you know, it's like, so that, that should be the case. However, I can feed you like understanding of like his platforms, his technology, here's how this plays a part, here's how media, here's how we communicate, here's what peer-to-peer looks like. Here's the things that like you need to add into your thinking because I've seen this on L'Oreal or I've seen it on Huawei or I've seen it on Mercedes or I've seen it this, and you know what, you could really benefit from this. There is no way that like, you know, that you can do that if you're sitting in a silo in like, you know, in, in any sort of like client organization. That concludes the first half of our fascinating interview with Gordon Domlesia, Asia-Pacific CEO for Agency Wavemaker. Join us next week for part two. And thanks again to Campaign Asia, our co-sponsor for this episode. For more information about Shanghai Zan and all our episodes, please follow us on zhanstation.com. That's Z-H-A-N station.com. And until next week, have a great day. Thank you.